Well, good morning, church. Um, just encourage you for tonight, our carols evening. It's a great time to not only celebrate together as a church, but to be inviting your neighbors, your friends. Um, look, even if it's last minute, someone might actually come and say, oh, you know, I'd, yeah, I, I had something planned, but actually it, it opened up now. Yeah, I'll, I'll have a go. I'll come. So it's a great opportunity to just be inviting them to sing along the biblical truths of the incarnation, of Christmas, of why we're <coughs> here. Um, and so, yeah, just to encourage you, um, capitalize on that opportunity. Um, and maybe some of you have spouses or brothers or sisters that don't know Jesus. Um, they may not come on a Sunday morning, probably won't, but they might say, yeah, sure, it's a Carol's Christmas thing, why not? I guess I'll have a go. So capitalize on that. It's, it's again, it's a good opportunity for them to come. I'll, I'm going to give just a, a quick sort of message. It's not going to be like a half an hour Billy Graham sort of sermon or anything, but, um, but I'm hoping just to actually talk about the carols themselves. The carols are rich. Carols are, are theologically rich. I'm actually going to quote one today in the sermon. So, um, yeah, and I'm hoping that what that does, so I'm actually going to put the ball back in your court because I'm hoping what that does is I'm only going to speak for, I don't know, if I can do, if it's humanly possible, if I can just speak for five minutes. Um, but I'm going to just give a quick, yeah, 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 yeah. Shh. Shh. Anyway, um, no, but if it's, and, and then what I hope to do is actually say, hey, look, the person that brought you, talk more with them about this. You know, so I'm going to sort of put the ball back in your court. And it's a great opportunity for you afterwards or later on as you're having Christmas together and diving into a pav, lova, whatever, you know, you can say, hey, you know, what was that about? And it's just, again, I'm trying to set you up for opportunities. So hopefully, God willing, we'll have a good turnout and... It'll be, it'll be good. So um, raise your hand if you were here last week. Raise your hand. Okay, cool. Um, for those of you who weren't able to join us, uh, we looked at the Gospel of John together and talked about the idea, the concept of rebirth. Rebirth. Spiritual rebirth, that is, being born again. The idea of... If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And, you know, I was thinking about it this week. Um, how does Christmas relate or connect to the idea of rebirth? Because it sounded kind of cool, and a lot of people gave me positive feedback last week. And Roz, had a, it was really, I was encouraged to see her baptized, and yay, and everyone was like, that's awesome. But how does that how does that sort of connect with Christmas, right? I, I don't mean all the trivial commercial stuff that's out there. That, that's in a category of, of its own, really. But what I'm talking about is the real meaning of Christmas, the birth of Christ. What is the connection between Jesus' birth and our new birth, how does the incarnation relate to someone becoming a Christian? What does Christmas have to do with being born again? I want to try to answer that today with a statement 
but I'm a little nervous. <clears throat> I'm a little nervous. Sorry, the smoke's in my throat. <clears throat> Not that I was having a smoke outside. Um, you never know if you're visiting. Um, the smoke from this week. Yeah, I don't need to explain that. Um, but I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little nervous to give this statement because some of you, not all of you, but some of you, when you hear the statement, it's going to seem a bit, at first, kind of wordy, and it is wordy. It, it might seem sort of irrelevant and, I guess, out of step with real life. For instance, I'll say it, and depending on where you're at spiritually or how much Bible you've digested this week or how much you've studied theology, it's going to have sort of a different effect on you. Some of you are like, just get on with it. Say it. Let us be the judge of that. All right, come on. All right, all right. Here it is. Here's the statement. The incarnation is absolutely necessary for our regeneration. The incarnation is absolutely necessary for our regeneration. That is what I'm trying to persuade you of today. That's the big takeaway. The incarnation is absolutely necessary for our regeneration. Or to state it more simply, perhaps, no incarnation equals no salvation. Now, if you're like, dude, I have no idea what the Jenna, waterration, incarnation, that sounds like a flowery parade. What are you talking about? I don't know what those words are. Don't check out. Hang in there with me. We're going to define those terms in just a moment here. Stay with me. But my goal, though, in using those terms isn't to give you a bunch of sort of spiritual fancy jargon to take home. Like, what a waste of time that would be. I'm not trying to just give you just cool terms. But my aim this morning is to help you see the importance of Jesus becoming a human and how this event is critical for your salvation. And you know what's strange? When it comes to Christmas, particularly when it comes to Christmas sermons, I think all too often we naively believe We've been there and done that before. Like, we know all this stuff already. M maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've heard Christmas sermons for 20 years. You grew up in church. Maybe you grew up in this church. And I'd ask, if that's sort of where you're at, think, ah, oh, Christmas sermon, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already know that already. Uh, well, why do you think that? If I can just challenge you for a moment, why do you think that? Do you think that because you're familiar with the general outline of Matthew and Luke's account of the birth of Christ, or maybe you've read Isaiah 9 once, or maybe you, you're familiar with Christmas carols. Is that what gives you a sort of your entitled license that you know this story in and out? I'm not trying to be a snob jerk up here. I'm just, I'm just asking, is that, is that it? Let me encourage you, friend. There is so much more that meets the eye when it comes to the incarnation. Seriously, do you know that the idea behind Christmas, the belief of someone simultaneously having a human and divine nature is probably one of the hardest, heavy, heaviest theological topics there is. No, no joke. The breadth and depth of the incarnation is not for the faint of heart. It's, it's certainly not cheap or merely sentimental. 
This is swimming in the deep end of the pool. Do you understand that? Muslims, if you talk to them about Jesus, hate the idea of the incarnation because Allah would never stoop himself so low even if he had a son. So they reject Christianity on this idea of someone simultaneously having two natures, fully God, fully man. This is swimming in the deep end of the pool. So, so my prayer this morning is for all of us is that we begin to see the significance of the incarnation. And, and perhaps, perhaps rather than just assume, kind of say, yeah, yeah, I, I know that already, actually to step back and say, well, hold on, there's actually a whole Christology, as it were, study of Jesus to learn here. Like I said, this is a swimming pool that's in the deep, deep, deep end. And that we would be able to, as we study this, kind of like picture a massive onion, as it were, not just a little onion, but a massive onion, like the size of this room, and sort of pull the whole sheet of it back and go, whoa, there's so much more here than maybe even I thought there was. I, maybe, I, maybe I don't have this all sorted. Maybe uh, there's a, there's, I can just keep digging deeper and digging deeper and digging deeper. It, it's like a lot of things. Sometimes you think because you sort of our, our knowledge of something can be a mile wide but an inch deep. Have you heard that? And we think, oh, yeah, 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 I know that already. Do you? Um, I just, again, not trying to be a snobby jerk up here. I'm just, I'm trying to challenge you with this is precious truth about the God that we worship. The Son of God taking on human flesh, becoming man, and simultaneously having two natures, fully God, fully man. How does that work? That's incredible. So, what I hope to do this morning is argue the point that, that the incarnation, though, is absolutely necessary for our regeneration. Okay? And I don't, I don't specifically mean, I don't just mean, because some of you go, yeah, 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 I hear what you're saying. Without Jesus coming, there would be no cross, Therefore, there would be no salvation. That's true, but that's actually not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm going to go pulling it back even further to the incarnation itself and how that is trailblazing for our salvation. So hopefully, that makes sense. If it doesn't, I don't know. Talk to Rob Wright about it. Let's pray, though. Lord, we, we thank you again for your word. Help us now as we have a tendency to drift in our own minds, especially during this time of year when things are busy and, um, Lord, there's Christmas parties and we're reconnecting with family that we haven't seen in a while and it's, it's so easy to be distracted. So, Lord, would you help us to focus now on your word? May we grasp even if it's just at a little deeper level, this amazing truth that the Lord Jesus took on flesh. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I, I advertised it. No false advertisement. I said I'd define those words for you. So incarnation 
and regeneration. Last week, when I baptized Roz, because I asked you who was here. Last week when I baptized Roz, we were standing right here, right? Hopefully this thing doesn't give way. That'd be interesting. And I said, right, Roz, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the what? Son and of the... Now, why did I say that? Is that just sort of what you need to say at a baptism? Like, is that, you know, is that just... Maybe I heard another pastor say that when I grew up, and I went, oh, yeah, yeah, just, just repeat that. That's, that's, that's it. That's, that's the right thing to say. You don't, you don't want to stuff that up, right? So, like, just, let's just say, let's just repeat the formula. Why, why, why did I, why did I say that? Why did I say Father and Son and Spirit? I mean, wouldn't it save a whole lot of time, really, if just, to, just to say, all right, Roz, I baptize you in God's name. Dunk. Maybe not dunk her that violently, but <laughs> why not just do that? Why not just, I, I baptize you? Because doesn't she said, she said, right, I, you know, I believe in God and... Why not just say, hey, I, I baptize you in God's name? Why, why all the, the words there? Well, when we look at the Bible and we look carefully at the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, what we see, what we see is God, God has revealed himself as triune. The Lord is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, better known as the Trinity. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and yet there is one God. Still with me? Now listen, the second person of the Trinity, you just said it out loud, is God the who? God the Son has always, 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 always existed. Yeah, there was never a time when he didn't exist. He has always existed. And he has his two best mates. It sounds probably shouldn't say it that way, but the Father and the Spirit, they've had perfect love and fellowship with each other for eternity, before, ever, before there ever was a moon and a sun and the universe or any of those things the Trinity had perfect fellowship and love that they shared with each other. And then one day, one day, God the Son took on human flesh and entered into space and time and became a baby. That is mind-boggling. Would you agree? That is absolutely mind-boggling. The Christmas message rests on the amazing fact that the child in the manger is God. Or as the famous Christmas carol goes, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the favored one, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man, with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That's hard to beat. Read, so that's the incarnation. 
Do you understand? God made man. Or as John says, not in 1 John, we'll look in 1 John in just a second here, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. That is the incarnation. I honestly could probably stop right there, which maybe some of you wish I would. I could probably stop right there and say, God became a man. And for us to go, no way. That is incredible. We don't, we don't need any lights and music and smoke machines and Dan doesn't need to come up here on a pogo stick and, you know, give you a, which would be kind of cool, afterwards and, you know, but we just have to say, God became a man. Or just, or read the passage in First John or whatever it might be. That, that is incredible. That is the incarnation. Now, what about, re- I said regeneration. We talked about that last week. Regeneration teaches this. I'll, I'll do it very brief here. Teaches that apart from God, we are dead in our sin and rebellion. Now you're like, I'm not dead. Well, listen, people who are not born again are currently walking around, breathing, thinking, feeling, but spiritually they have no life because they are not born anew. Do you understand that your non-Christian family members cannot accept the things of the Spirit because they are foolishness to them? The Bible says the man without the Spirit cannot accept the things of the Spirit because they think they're stupid. Sure, I I mean, I I don't know if that that offends you if you think, oh, I kind of hope they would respect me a little bit more. Well, maybe, maybe not. But deep down in their hearts, they cannot accept these things. The Holy Spirit must come and bring new life, regenerate, cause to be born again, quicken. A dead corpse can do nothing, correct? That's where humans are right now without Jesus until the Holy Spirit quickens and God brings new life. And this heart that was once calloused and hated the things of God is now transformed. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's regeneration. Honestly, it's a miracle. Which is incredible. But, okay, but what does that have to do with Christmas again? You talked about the incarnation over here and you talked about regeneration. Generation, how, did, how do we bridge those two things? Well, I wonder though, if you're God, why not, why not just sort of zap people from heaven and make them born again? Like 2,000 years ago, you know, you're born again, you know, shoot lightning bolts like, Darth Sidious, you know, or whatever, right? You know, it's a bad picture. But why not just like, why not just boom or snap? Why not? Why send the sun to 
be born in poverty and then live a whole life and then die at the end of it. I mean, if you're God, can't you just snap your finger and cause people to be born again? Isn't that sort of the end game anyway, the worship of yourself That's that by the people that you have saved? And why, then why not just go bang? World, the world's a massive place. Even 2,000 years ago, think of all the different languages, cultures. I mean, if you're God, why not, why not just do that, right? So does there really have to be an incarnation? I mean, come on. Is the incarnation really required for our salvation? Well, the new birth, let me say this, would be impossible without Christmas, without the incarnation. For numerous reasons, numerous reasons, and I'll give you one. My sermon has one point today. That's my gift to you. Merry Christmas. Just one. One point. Here it is. The incarnation is necessary for our regeneration. So hopefully those, does that make sense now? Does the sentence make a little bit more sense since we kind of talked about, oh yeah, incarnation, regeneration, how do we bridge these two? Good? So the incarnation is necessary for our regeneration because, number, number one, this is it, saving faith needs an object. Saving faith needs an object. In order to be saved, your faith needs an object. It needs to land somewhere. It's not blind faith or trust in some mystical deity which is unknown or even exerting a measure of belief in a higher power. No, if you have an authentic saving faith, it must be anchored in a real flesh and blood person which is none other than Jesus, the incarnate son. In other words, becoming born again is only feasible because the eternal son of God became a man to accomplish the will and plan of God as a man. I, I realize that's a mouthful. But you have to grasp this, friend. If you get nothing else and you're just hoping this sermon will be done sooner than later so you can go back to eggnog or whatever you want to do, grasp this. Just get this. Ready? Man owed a debt that only God could pay, so the mediator had to be both man and God. Fully God, fully man. Man so he could die for the sins of man. God so he could bear the infinite weight of the wrath of God. There's only one way for that to have worked, and that is found in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. Man so he could die for the sins of man. God so he could bear the infinite weight of the wrath of God. Now let's look again at the text that Jeanette just read for us. 1 John 5. I want us to look carefully at the words here, particularly in the first verse of 1 John. Might make a little bit more sense. Everyone, 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus, 
Jesus, you catch that there? Jesus is, and this is a title, the Christ. Meaning this Jewish man from Nazareth, if they believe that he is the Messiah who took on flesh, notice the result, notice the result, has been born of God. You see the language of regeneration there? Born of God. If by sovereign grace a person places his or her faith in the God-man, the incarnate one, basically grabs a hold of Jesus, trusting in him alone, in that moment, the Holy Spirit causes that individual to be born again. Does that make sense? You see, saving faith needs to be able to reach out and grab onto a person, and it's only Jesus who will save that person. Now, picture it this way. Let's say that, and hope this doesn't happen. I don't, hopefully it won't. Use common sense. If you're this Christmas holiday, you go to the beach, and you're at Copa, or Avoca, or wherever you like to go, and there's a big current and you're swimming out there and all of a sudden you realize you've been sucked out beyond the breakers, as it were, and it's still sucking you out and the beach is just getting further and further away from you and you're realizing, wow, I'm actually, I'm actually in quite a bit of trouble. And then you start to feel your legs cramp up and you look around and nobody's around. It's not good and you're starting to sink, starting to take in water, I think this is it. But just then, just as you're about to go down and drown, a lifeguard shows up. And the lifeguard says, look, we don't have a, the boat's not here. It's on its way, but right now, the only way you're going to survive this is you, you got to grab onto my shoulders. I can swim you in. And you go, oh. It's kind of awkward to grab onto some dude's shoulders, I don't know, like, I don't know. Maybe, the, maybe if I wait just a bit, the tide will sort of bring me back in. Or, yeah, that's all right, look, maybe the, I'll wait for the boat to show up. How long did you say? 15 minutes the boat's going to be here? Oh, that's all right, I'll just, I'll just wait for then. Or, you know, maybe my... My legs are actually starting to feel better. Come to think of it, they're not. But, you know, my legs are starting to feel a little better. Maybe, uh, maybe I can actually pull this off. Y you'd look at that person, right? And you'd go, you're a fool. You're, you're going to die. Like, you're, you're literally, like, your lifeline here is grabbing onto this bloke who can carry you to life, as it were. You, you have to do this. This is it. You're going to die if this doesn't happen. Now, in a similar way, all illustrations break down, I understand that, but in, in a similar way, our faith friend needs to land somewhere and it needs to land in the person and work of Jesus. And that starts with, like in other words, your faith needs to land in a personal, enfleshed son of God, not a ghost your, your, your faith lands in an incarnate one. 
Your, your faith is able to grab onto the shoulders of Jesus, as it were. Your, your faith needs to land somewhere. Not, it doesn't land in a mystical deity which is unknown over there. You know, the universe spoke to you or whatever, and you're kind of say, yeah, that's good. I'm going to grab onto that. Your faith doesn't land in being best friends with people at this church. Your faith doesn't land in a mystical, ethereal gas somewhere, as it were. Your faith has to be historically, as it were, rooted in historic Jesus Christ, who is the God-man. You need to be able to grab onto his shoulders. Your faith needs to land there. And and the only reason that Jesus can save is because he is fully God and fully man and made and took the punishment of your sins against God. Because he's fully God, he could bear that. Because he can identify with you, he's fully man. Both together. It's only Jesus, and that's where your faith needs to land. Do you understand, without this, without this, we were going to face God guilty. Guilty. I sped and got a speeding ticket once in my life. Actually, twice. Anyway, but... And I went before the judge, like a stupid idiot, and I said, this is back in Hawaii, and I said in the courtroom, Your Honor, I just want to let you know that I'm not a lawbreaker. And she said, That's not true. Yes, you are. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in here. And I just went, oh, touche. All of you have broken God's law. All of us, every one of us have sinned. And we were going to stand before the righteous judge who sees everything guilty. No excuse. But that is why, friend, our only hope of not being guilty is anchoring our faith in this God-man, Jesus Christ. We were separated from God because of our sin. And our only hope of forgiveness was for someone completely innocent of any wrongdoing to take the punishment of all our crimes. Such a perfect life and perfect love were impossible for any human to achieve. So God himself did it for us by sending his son from eternity to morality, from glory into flesh, and from throne to manger. Ultimate hope was born in ultimate humility. That's the incarnation, friend. It's your faith anchored there in that incarnate son. You know, it's interesting. I have a couple friends who are missionaries. And honestly, I don't know how they, I mean, that is full on. I don't know how they do it. I'm, I'm a missionary to Australia, but you know, I can go to Aaron Affair and have grilled and go to Hoyt's. <laughs> oh, I'm really suffering from Jesus here in this country. Um, actually, I am in my own way, but anyway, it's another sermon. I, 
But I, 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 I want to show you actually a, a video clip. I want to close with this um, of a tribe in Papua New Guinea of hearing the gospel for the first time. The idea of the God man, right? Now, now picture, picture you've left everything You've left everything, your mom, your dad, your brother and your sister, your friends, to share Jesus with some tribe. And you don't even know their language, so you just sit among them and try to figure it out, and you go to, you know, you get training for it, and you try to study their culture, understand how, how they tick, as it were, and it's hard. It's really hard. It takes you years of, of them knowing you, you knowing them. It's hot, it's sweaty, it's uncomfortable, it's dangerous, and then finally, one day, after all your hard work, you're able to finally have them understand the gospel that's what happened in this video clip. And it's just one minute. And I want you to pay close attention how these people, when it clicks for them, how they respond to the Christmas message, as it were, the gospel. So take a look, if it works. Itao. That that is a response that we should have. That that's the you know I'm not going to try to lift Ben up you know <laughs> up here afterwards, but but do you, do you do you see do you, you get it like that again friends if I can't stress it enough that we were going to stand before God guilty. We're separated from God because of our sin. But all that changed when God sent his son from eternity to morality, from glory to flesh, from throne to manger. You know, we can have hope because Jesus was humbled enough to come to this earth, take on flesh for us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the message of Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this church would look more like our brothers and sisters in PNG, that we would be 
so amazed by your grace and enthusiastic that we would just want to celebrate for hours and testify. Lord, I pray if there's any here that maybe it's just now registering, maybe it's clicking. There's this God that can be known because of the person and work of Jesus, Lord, that, that you would cause them to lay a hold of Jesus by faith. Lord, we pray now as we celebrate during this time of communion that we would have that same joy and enthusiasm. Lord, forgive us for our apathy and ways that we just let this Christmas message wash over us too, too quickly. Help us to rejoice. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and like our brothers in PNG, you're saying, yes, I believe this message, this opportunity now is, we're actually, it's, it's symbolic. It's remembering Jesus' real flesh that was nailed to a cross, right? Real blood that was shed on the cross. This is an opportunity to remember that, to reflect on that. And if you're not there, this is a time to just allow those elements to pass by. You can just look on. And so now I'd ask the helpers to come forward at this time and we will take the Lord's Supper together. When you-